Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. I'm glad you could attend. Again, you are listening to the Let's Talk Hemp podcast. I am your host, Morris Beagle. Welcome to the show. Hello and good day, everyone. Welcome to episode four of season four here on the Let's Talk Hemp Volume Up podcast. Today we head south of the border, over the wall, and into Mexico, where I have been fortunate to spend quite a bit of time the last four months. Spent some time in the Baja in November and then in Riviera Maya during January. And today I'm actually joined by Cannabis Salute producer, organizer, and founder and friend, Lorena Beltran, who lives in Mexico City. And Lorena has also spent a fair amount of time here in Colorado. She's been out to NOCO Hemp Expo. She worked for CW Hemp and the Stanley Brothers for several years. And uh, Lorena is no stranger to the Let's Talk Hemp podcast, appearing as a guest twice before when uh, I had the show with Rick. And in this episode, we're going to delve into the hemp in Mexico and Latin America. And we'll also be joined by Bob Hoban of the Hoban Law Group and one of Bob's colleagues, Luis Armendariz. And we'll get them up shortly. I did want to give a shout out to my episode three guests, Joy Beckerman from Hemp Ace International, Ed Lerberger from Pure Hemp Technology, and Madison Sexton from Hemp Mills for sharing their time and insight into the wonderful world of hemp fiber and its many applications. If you didn't catch that episode, you can download it and listen on demand at your convenience from a number of different platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, and iHeartRadio podcast. I also would like to mention the next episode after today's will air on March 18th, and I will be joined by Andrea Herman as my co-host, and we will be talking the rise of the Canadian hemp industry with our guests, Sean Crew of Hemp Oil Canada, Ruth Shami of Ruth's Foods, and Mike Fada, founder of Manitoba Harvest. Last, I would also like to let all of you know, like I do every episode, that NOCO Hemp Expo 2021 is happening in person March 25th through the 27th. We are also working on a virtual hybrid component to complement the event for those that cannot make it in person. We do have over 300,000 total square feet of event space, so we will be implementing safety protocols, social distancing, Denver Health Department and Colorado Health Department recommendations and guidelines. And so that we do provide a safe environment that is COVID compliant for all of our attendees. All of us at Team WAFPA have been working hard to make this happen, and we look forward to seeing you face-to-face or mask-to-mask come the end of March. And with that, I am going to get my uh, friend Lorena on the line and see what is up with her, which I know is a lot, and then we'll get Louise and Bob up shortly after that. And here we are, Let's Talk Camp, episode four, and I've got uh, Lorena Beltran from Mexico City on the line. How are you doing today? Hi, Maurice. I'm doing pretty good. Thank you so much for the invitation. Yeah, it's uh, awesome to have you on the show again. We've done this over the last couple of years, but this time you get a guest co-host with me. Yes, I'm excited. I'm excited too. There's a lot of cool things going on in Mexico as far as cannabis legalization. Yeah, that's right. And we're going to have Luis Armendariz, also from Mexico, from Chihuahua, actually, from the same town uh, where I was born, Chihuahua, Mexico, who's going to talk to us about what's happening in terms of 
the regulation for medical cannabis and the upcoming voting for the new proposed bill. Exciting things going on there in Mexico. So you've been organizing and producing Cannabis Salute for the last couple of years. Is that happening again this year? Yes, we weren't able to have Cannabis Salute in 2020 for obvious reasons, but the first Cannabis Salute was back in 2017. So it's going to be, what, 17, no, five years now. Five years of Cannabis Salud, and I'm very excited to have our event again in person this year, 2021. And because before we only had a medical cannabis law, I decided to do a Congress uh, a symposium for health professionals only. That was the first two years, 2017 and 18. And it was amazing. It was great just because we knew a regulation was going to be published and we needed to give education to our health professionals. Back in the day, there was nothing at all where they could find information in Spanish here in Mexico. So it, it was great to have during those years. But now that we see an opening for the recreational industry, industrial hemp, the voting of this law coming up in the next few days, that's why I decided to open up for more topics uh, this year, meaning not only medical, but also talk about regulations in general, investment, business, of course, the recreational market and industrial hemp. So Cannabis Salud is getting bigger and I'm super happy about that. And we have actually two events, hopefully this year. Awesome. I'm glad to see that you're covering all aspects of the cannabis plant, not just uh, the medical side, which obviously is very important. But now that hopefully here shortly, all parts of the plant will be legal and the industrial hemp market will even take off in Mexico. Yes, we're super excited about that. I personally, and you know me, Maurice, and I know also you and your group advocating for industrial hemp. It's the same thing here in Mexico. We're just pushing and pushing so we can just free industrial hemp, just liberate it from all requirements from marijuana. There's more opportunity for Mexico and for the farmers in Mexico. So uh, we're planning on having Cannabis Salud this summer. And this summer is going to be more of a business and investment summit in the summer, just to give you... A little bit more information, it's going to be in the Rivera Maya. We don't know exactly if it's going to be Cancun or just somewhere around there. But yeah, it's Salud this summer. It's focused on business and investment. And then we have our regular event, the, the big event that covers everything, as I mentioned, towards the end of the year. We're looking at the probably the beginning of November of this year. I'll have to coordinate our second conversations in Cabo in the general time frame, maybe a week before or a week after the Mexico City event. Oh, that'll be great. That way you can just jump to Los Cabos and Cancun. <laughs> yep, exactly. And then I'll definitely look into the, the thing in Riviera Maya. I was out there with Kate. We were there in January for her birthday and for my birthday, and that's a beautiful area. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing, amazing, and very cannabis-friendly. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And we got to hang out with Stephen Clark down in Tulum for a little bit and catch up with him. It's always nice to catch up with Stephen. Yeah, of course. Our leader in the industrial hemp industry here in Mexico, for sure, he's been doing a lot of eco 
building with hempcrete and bamboo and many other things in the Rivera Maya. He's a really good friend. Yeah, great work. Good friend, good advocate for the plants, and just a great human being. Yeah, that's right. So you are also a a co-founder of Alcan, is that correct? Yes, Alcan, it's a a new Latin American cannabis alliance. In Spanish, it's Alianza Latinoamericana de la Cannabis, Alcan. And we have been working on this project for a few years. It was actually back in 2018 when I had the idea of uh, registering a nonprofit to just help with education and try to help people with any kind of information. That was like the main objective back in 2018. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to mm, find the right people in the group that I wanted to conform this nonprofit. I had a few bad experiences because as a woman in Mexico, leading an industry that's been illegal for so many years, it's not easy, my friend. It's not easy. And back in 2018, when I had this proposal to do the nonprofit, it just didn't come to to a point that we were all agreeing on the vision that, that I had for this nonprofit. And I just, you know, quit. I didn't do it back in the day. But then as time passed, at the end of the day, you're always going to show uh, results by doing the right work, right? By doing your work. So I started identifying other people that were on the same channel as me, meaning that we are really trying to have an industry that benefits Mexicans, first of all, that we have a regulation that it's really gonna create an economic and an environmental impact and that there's not gonna be more violence after these regulations and just looking for peace here in Mexico and in many other positive things. So finally, after a few years of just analyzing and observing and, and finally connecting with the right people, the right group, Alcan comes to life. So last year we created Alcan and now is this alliance that is conformed by other nonprofits. Uh, there are 15 nonprofits pro-cannabis under one umbrella, which is Alcan, and we are trying to be just one voice that represents the emerging industry. And now we have over 30 companies that have joined Alcan. They're helping with their donations. So we make, as Alcan, with all the members of the nonprofits, we make sure that the, the legislative process continues and they don't stop and they don't ask for more time and making sure that the government is making the right modifications to the proposed bill in order to have uh, this regulation, as I mentioned, that can really benefit Mexico. So we're super excited because Alcan is not only doing the lobbying and educating, but also we have the first Mexican TV show, which is huge. It's called Tiempo de Cannabis, Time for Cannabis. And it's something that we have been working on for the last probably over six months now. And Tiempo de Cannabis is on Mexican television starting this Saturday. So we have our own show uh, every Saturday at 11.30 p.m. Mexico City time. And you can find it not only on on the Mexican television, which is TV Azteca, but you can find it on Roku, HBO, and many other platforms. And it's just 
amazing to see that all the things that we can do as a community, because this achievement is thanks to the whole cannabis community that it's now with Alcan. So I'll send you the link so you guys can watch it. That is awesome to hear. And it's great to see so many different groups coming together under one roof to work collaboratively, collectively, and have a united voice. That's what it's, we've had these problems all over the planet where you have these different voices and nobody can agree on things. But once we do agree on things, we can make a lot of progress. So it's exciting to see that Alcan is a hub for bringing a bunch of different groups together. Yeah, definitely. We're super happy about it. And it's just like reversing the message of the Reefer Madness campaign. That's how I feel. Now that we have our own show, an hour of just cannabis content on television. It's just amazing what we can do when we unite and we have the same mission and vision. Yep. Keep up the great work with that. And uh, why don't we get Luis up here and talk about uh, what's going on and what the timeframes yep. we'll be expecting here in the, the, the coming weeks. Yeah, let's do that. I know, I know there's a lot of people that want to know what's happening in Mexico, what we can do right now, what we can't, and yeah, what's next? All right, well, let's get Luis up. And here we are. Let's talk Kemp Volume Up podcast. And this week we are headed to Mexico and Latin America. And we've got Luis Armendariz hanging out there in Mexico with his friend Lorena. How are you doing today, Luis? Good, Maurice. I'm, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me here and happy to be chatting with Lorena and sharing our our insights and opinions and just all the exciting things happening in Mexico. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited what's going on down there. I've got to spend a fair amount of time down there the last several months and really like Mexico and love the fact that cannabis is about to be fully legalized, which we're going to get into that conversation right now. Why don't you tell me what part of cannabis is legal in Mexico right now, if any of it is? Uh, yes, well, this is it's exciting to answer since January 13th, when the rules for medical use were published, we can say that the medical use is fully legal now. In theory and in paper, it has been legal since 2017, as, as, as many of you know. But the secondary rules that were supposed to follow up and, and complete that regulatory process for the implementation and the guidelines and the more concrete requirements for just the permits and the legal access to, to the plant for medical purposes were finally issued last month. That's what's fully legal right now. And, and, and this is, in a short answer, good, good to put it like this, so that some people sometimes get confused about seeing other products in the market and they wonder just online sales, social media accounts selling CBD products and, and obviously a gray market for, for recreational, but that's not legal yet. So medical is legal. The rest of the uses of the plant are going to be legal hopefully very soon in the next few weeks, crossing our fingers. And that process is parallel to the medical one. So here we have a federal law that will hopefully be passed soon by the lower house of the Chamber of Deputies. 
And that's going to legalize a recreational and also industrial hemp. We're going to have a, a fully legal country, all uses. And so it's going to be exciting. Yes. Thank you so much for the invitation, Maurice. So happy to be on your show. Glad to have you here. So what does the proposed bill that is being discussed in the lower house establish at this point in time? So that, that bill, like I said, it, it's pretty much everything but the medical use. So on, on one hand, you have the recreational use that is being legalized, and it just sets forth the way that the, the users and the public can have access to recreational, and then how the interested investors or companies or participants in the industry can, can get into the industry. So it sets forth the types of licenses that will be available in the, depending on the stage of the chain of value. And then it includes just because Cannabis has been regulated as, as a plant without making that much dis distinction between the, its psychoactive cannabis and, and hemp. In that same law, we also have that provi uh, provisions that apply to industrial hemp. And, and so these types of licenses that will be available are going to be applicable to both uses. And it's a kind of, we know we have the, the document that was approved by the Senate back in November. But now as we speak, there's people talking with the deputies and proposing changes. And there's this really interesting effort that it's grouping a lot of associations and activists and just groups that represent the medical part, the, the, the hemp the, as an agro-industrial group and also user rights groups. And this, this group is called ALCAN. So it's something like the Latin American Cannabis Alliance. And it's a really historic effort in this process because, like I said, it's joining all these forces and voices from the different interest groups. And so they're, I think they're doing really significant change with these deputies. And they're open to their suggestions And they're open because they are hearing from people in nonprofits and associations, not that much on the corporate lobbying part or from economic group. It's just a, as a global industry participant. So Alcan is uh, really having an effect in that. And it's, we know what the bill says right now, but there may be some big changes, maybe not, in, 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 not, not substantially changing the bottom line of this legalization bill, but just changing the way that the industry will start developing in the first years. Uh, we have the type of licenses, the rights and obligations of the license holders, uh, just restrictions, uh, maybe a little more rigid on the recreational side. But uh, it's, it's, it's important to keep in mind that it's a very general at a, a high level regulation. Right. So a lot of questions that arise with, with more detail as to just the, the, the terms of, I don't know, the products that are authorized, what's going to be the CBD or, uh, and THC ratio. Uh, so we don't know that yet. In, in the Mexican legal system, you have the federal laws that are derived from the Constitution, but then you have a bunch of types of secondary rules that come later. So guidelines, official norms, and then specific regulations that are issued by the agencies of the government. And they get more technical and they list with more detailed requirements and compliance items. I think a high level, that's what's in this bill. And, and then 
the challenge will come once it is published and goes into effect. Once we conclude this legislative process, then we'll see how the secondary regulation processes work and come out. Thanks for the information, Luis. We have another question for you. When this proposed bill at the lower house will be voted and what will be the next steps? When it's voted and approved in the lower house, what's next? So there is a legal deadline, right? A mandate by the Supreme Court that has had a, a, a couple of extensions But now that we, under this last extension, the legal de deadline is April 30th. And that's the last day of the legislative period out of two that, that the calendar year has. And it started on February 1st. So that last day is, in theory, the deadline to meet. Now, we have seen communications by the political coordinators at the lower house including the cannabis bill in the agenda for discussions first at a committee level in these days, this week, maybe maybe as we speak, we're speaking right now, and then likely to be voted next week. Uh, this is just uh, not formal communications or, or official uh, communications by any member of the legislative power, but the, the group and the effort that I just mentioned, Alcan, they're optimistic that next week can achieve that finally get to that point of being voted in the for, for general vote. And once that happens, if it is passed, if it has changes, then it will have to go back to the Senate, the higher house, and they have to approve them. And, and then once they define which changes are accepted and which ones are not, and they conclude that process, that's when it's ready to be sent to the president's office of, so he can sign off and publish it. So The, the, the terms of this last extension by the Supreme Court say that the whole legislative process has to be concluded. And if we're talking about a vote, a general vote in, in the first week of March, then I think we're in, on good track to have that, that passed and concluded. And it is expected that the, the, the law will be in effect on the next day after the publication in the Federal Official Gazette. And that's when we'll start this second phase of the adventure of, of uh, seeing how the rules and the guidelines by the agencies come out. Right now in this bill, and, and I did not mention it because it might be changed, but it contemplates the creation of a new agency. And if that, that has a significant difference, if that's eliminated from the bill, then maybe the timeline can be shorter for the first expected important developments in regulation. So we'll see how it plays out. Thank you, Luis. I think if we're very optimistic, we will see the regulation being published at the end of this year and being ready to apply for licenses and, and start the industry in Mexico at the beginning of 2022. Yeah, that's the idea. So we'll see, you know, if, if this big change is made and, and the, the new institute is not, does not have to be created and the attributions are just dispersed to the already existing government agencies, agriculture, if we're dealing, if we're dealing about cultivation and import of seed, registration, etc., or the health agencies, if we're talking about just whatever needs sanitary control for human consumption, then these are 
there's already the resource, the legal framework, and the, obviously the, the resources, the physical the, and human resources to already start accepting applications and just issuing these guidelines. So hopefully uh, we will see if that changes. We'll see how the transitory provisions change. These transitory provisions is a, is a section at the end of the bill that uh, pretty much tells you what happens on the next day while other things fall into place. It, it provides for, for a gradual granting of licenses, you know, start with uh, sale and import the following six months, then other types of licenses 12 months later, cultivation 18 months. So we'll see if that changes, but people and, and, and companies interested in applying, applying or filing for licenses, they'll be you know, uh, able to start working based on what's available in this bill when, once it becomes in effect. And just to add to that, we got some insights in the last few days about what Luis is mentioning of the possibility of eliminating the institute that will regulate cannabis and that will be given the licenses and permits, as he was mentioning, there's a high, very high probability probability that the institution, it's not going to happen. So instead, what they are proposing, the legislators in the last few days, is that the CONADIC, which is the National Commission Against Addictions, it's the one, it's the institute that will be regulating certain things about the cannabis industry, a few permits when it comes to recreational permits and licenses, and the uh, Secretary of Agriculture will take over to regulate industrial hemp, which that will be the the perfect scenario for Mexico if that happens. So we're going to have more information in the next couple of days because things are moving pretty fast here in Mexico in terms of the legislative process. Luis, one, one question that I have here for you, and this is something that we get from a lot of people, especially entrepreneurs and industry leaders around the world. Everybody's interested in coming to Mexico, but what do you think are the main challenges that Mexico will face before the federal legalization of all uses of cannabis. We're talking about Mexico being the third country in the world to legalize all uses of cannabis at a federal level. What will be the main challenges? Oh, that, that's a really good question. So there's, I, I think there's a, a good number of challenges and, and they're all, I think, equally as important. Maybe the first one is uh, more on the cultural side of creating the, the culture and, and providing the resources and the information to educate Mexican people to discover, to break and fight the stigma of the plant, to discover the benefits and how it can improve their lives, the, their health, their economies, so that the market matures and the different verticals can get can start on a stronger foundation either of cultivation access to the local communities the farmers cbd the benefits the the health benefits that will become or are becoming more and more popular and then just the, the medical market the medical use and i think that we still have a long way to go and, and that's one of the big rocks on which this industry and this culture can be developed in Mexico and grow. In terms of regulation, I think the, the main one or the first one that comes to, to mind is that hemp, industrial hemp, is not overregulated. 
is that it is treated as any other agricultural commodity, that people can cultivate it, process it, and then become an international player for to supply global demand. Um, and medical, uh, the medical part, I think that, that the process right now, the rules that they are set out are mostly directed in the pharmaceutical process. And the goal here is to make that accessible to everybody. So let's not make the rules, the, the regulatory burdens, the budgets be an obstacle for people to have access to that. Those are two out of many, but I think that's a good start for addressing these issues. I got a quick question before we're done here. So when it comes to industrial hemp, Mm-hmm. Do you see the possibility of utilizing the stock material from, let's say, medical and recreational cannabis into the industrial stream? Uh, n- not in principle, because we have two sets of rules that are intended to be exclusive from one another. So if in these medical rules you have specific provisions that apply to, you know, from the importing, the cultivation and the processing for this purpose. So they fall within this sanitary or healthcare legal framework that applied to the pharmaceutical process. So that's, you know, one type of authorization that you will have on on this front. But then you have on this bill, the law that talks about a cultivation license or a transformation license for a specific use then if this is granted by either an agricultural agency or CONADIC, as Lorena was saying, then uh, you're only, you're bound to meet the terms and conditions of the licenses that were granted to that use. And then we have to keep in mind also that there's, if we want to get into more detail, there's traceability uh, requirements and testing. So it's, uh, they're intended to be separate processes. Well, we'll have to work on that whole process globally over the course of the next five to 10 years, because there will be all kinds of marijuana waste that technically and theoretically can go into the paper and pulp and bioplastics and composites markets. And why destroy it when it could actually be put to use and be another revenue stream for farmers? Exactly. And and I think that's one of the many things that, you know, down the road in a few years, hopefully we can get just guidelines and, and develop regulations that learn from international experience or that just are consistent with international practices so that the whole opportunity can be seized after this. Thank you very much for your time today. It's great to talk to you. Sure. No problem. Thank you, Maurice. I appreciate it. Anything else you'd like to leave our listeners with? Uh, No, just stay tuned. A lot of things are going to happen. Maybe by the time that that, uh, they hear this, things are going to be different from from now. But uh, it's exciting, as Lorena said, that things are moving faster, that, you know, more on the pessimistic side uh, could, could hope. And we start the year with medical rules in place. Hopefully we'll end with, or at least we'll, Uh, start the summer with uh, a a bill that legalizes all uses and and then look forward to next year and and see how things start playing out. Thank you for allocating some time among your audience to learn and hear about the Mexican market. Absolutely. Well, thanks for all the work that you've been doing down there. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thank you. 
NOCO Hemp Expo 2021 is happening in person March 25th through the 27th at the National Western Complex in Denver, Colorado. With over 300,000 square feet of event space, we will be COVID compliant, socially distanced, with health and safety protocols in place. Tickets are on sale now for the Investor Forum, Business Conference, Farm Symposium, Expo Hall, and the NOCO Hemp Virtual Ticket. For more information, visit nocohempexpo.com. And would again like to thank Luis for coming in and share his, his insights with me and Lorena on what's happening there legislatively. What do you think of that, Lorena? Well, as Luis was mentioning, and just as a summary, we do have a medical regulation already. People can get their permits to import and export medicine, which is way different than what we think when we think about cannabis medical cannabis in the United States or Canada. That's something I want to add because we have a federal law, meaning that any product under a federal law has to comply with the regulations of COFEPRIS, which is our, the Mexican FDA, right? So it, these products are not going to be sold in any store in the corner or medical dispensaries. That does not exist in Mexico. It's being treated as a regular medicine, as a pharma, as a herbal medicine. And as we mentioned, these products need clinical trials in order to put them on the market. So that's a huge difference. And But it opens a, a door of opportunities to do research that hasn't been done in many countries because of cost, because of regulation. And I think Mexico opens the door for that. It's very important to cultivate. We can cultivate now. You can get a permit to cultivate, to do research and to develop this type of product that are medicine. So that's that. We have that ready. It's published in January. And he was mentioning as well, we're still waiting for the voting of the proposed bill to regulate recreational and industrial hemp. And that's happening this month. So we're super excited. We're calling it the Cannabis Spring, Primavera Canabica. And it's also the month of women. It's International Women's Day in March, and it's pretty close to the date of the voting session. So I don't know. I just wanted to throw that out there. I'm super excited about this. That's great. And it's going to be a good month. And spring is right around the corner. And COVID is about ready to take a back seat to the world and we're going to get back on with our lives. Uh, yes, please. <laughs> hey, uh, I wanted to ask, so it, now that it's medical, is it's like a, it's a medicine. So what about all these pharmacies that you see and whether it's in Cancun or in Los Cabos or whatever, are you going to be able to walk into a pharmacy where you can buy painkillers and Vicodin and stuff like that and then also be able to get your medical cannabis? Yeah, exactly. They're going to be sold as a regular medicine in pharmacies, in clinics, hospitals, just like a regular pharmaceutical. So anybody that's, I'm a tourist, I'm coming into town, I go to one of these little pharmacy places on the corner everywhere. There's a hundred of them in in Cabo. (laughs) And I'll be able to walk in there and be able to buy a gram or a quarter ounce or an ounce. No, in this medical regulation, no flowers for sale. So it's all be be concentrate, edibles? uh, Anything that falls in the categories of pharmaceuticals and herbal medicine, and it's capsules, it's um, 
sublinguals, like this liquid syrup. Just think about a pharmaceutical. Okay. You're not gonna be see, you're not gonna see edibles or flowers or anything like that. It's just gonna be a regular pharmaceutical that has cannabinoids. And so the smokable and flowers and that sort of thing, will that be available on the recreational side when that happens? Yeah, of course. Okay. On the recreational side, it's everything. We have flowers, extracts, edibles, food and beverages with cannabinoids, everything. Yeah. Just just like the the recreational industry. Yeah, it's going to be like the United States. It's a mix of the United States and Spain, I think, because we're also going to have cannabis clubs. Um, cultivation, cannabis cultivation associations. Yeah, the recreational part is going to be pretty fun. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Why don't we get Bob Hoban up on the line and see what Bob's up to and what he has to say about what's going on in Mexico and Latin America? Oh, yes, please. And uh, Another maestro. Maestro yes. de la cannabis. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll get Bob up here. We're back. Let's Talk Hemp Podcast, volume up with my co-host, Lorena. And we got Mr. Bob Hoban from the Hoban Law Group. How are you doing today, Bob? Doing great, guys. It's good to be here. And as we were talking earlier, super, super excited, Morris, about NOCO coming up here in March. Excited to have you, putting you to work this year. You're going to be on multiple panels, and I got you heading up our One Nation Under Hemp Ag Commissioner Roundtable that we've got Kate Greenberg and and Sid Miller from Texas. We'll see who else joins that bit. Having Kate and Sid on the same stage should be quite interesting. It should be fun. It reminds me of a few years back when I moderated a discussion and we had Dwayne Sinning from the CDA and I think Grit Orvis was on that panel and a couple of other people that were just it was going at each other. That was fun. But I'll actually be in Texas on Monday to meet with a couple of groups down there, learn a little bit more on the ground about how people are thinking about some things. Interesting perspectives from people and uh, looking forward to it. Let's get into talking hemp in Mexico and Latin America. Yes. Yes, let's do it. You know, uh, Lorena, we, we've been talking about this for so long. And what's always exciting for me is to see it on people's faces when it's actually happening. When we've talked about this and you're always, well, this is going to happen or this is supposed to happen. And then when you get these little nuggets of this is actually happening and this is moving forward and that you're right in the middle of it. That's exciting for me to see and, and obviously exciting for you to see these great things happen in Mexico. But the hemp piece of it is what's always been interesting to me because it doesn't seem like that's the part that a lot of people in Mexico are focusing on in terms of cultivation and development, but, but maybe that's changing. Yeah, we were talking to, to Luis about what's going to be the next steps in doing the, the process that it's happening right now at the legislative level, but we're super excited about the Industrial Hemp Initiative which comes in the same package. What's it's being what they're going to be voting at the lower house is the recreational part of the industry and industrial hemp. And we're super excited to see some modifications on the proposed bill. So the agricultural department takes care of industrial hemp and it doesn't fall in the same uh, requirements as marijuana. Right. So that's a, a huge step right now. And definitely the government is looking at industrial hemp to 
be one of the best opportunities for agriculture in Mexico. And we're also seeing a lot of interest in technologies to process hemp. And surprisingly, because guys, we have been traveling around the world and we know what's happening in terms of industrial hemp in other countries. And Mexico seems to be super motivated to push this industry. And we see a lot of groups trying to learn more and invest in in technologies to process hemp. Uh, We see the plastic industry, we see the construction industry, we see all these different industries trying to learn what's happening and trying to learn how to incorporate industrial hemp into their the industries that they that already exist. So that's, for me, it's super excited. I've never seen something like this in another country. The motivation, the willing to learn more about it and implement all these technologies and these products into our daily lives. Finally, we're going to be able to see it in Mexico, not only in China with textiles, but hopefully Mexico when it comes to plastic and, and, and paper and biofuels and, of course, the whole car manufacturing in Mexico. We have a huge industry in automotives. We're definitely going to see more of hemp in, in those areas of, the, of those industries. Yeah, when you talk about plastics, that's one of the things that gets me the most excited. And of course, as we've all traveled quite a bit here, when you travel across Latin America, you realize the importance of, let's face it, liters of bottled water. Liters of bottled water or, or larger in plastic bottles are prevalent. Families require it. It's, it. It is something that creates so much waste. And if we can just take a little bit of that and create hemp-based plastic resins to create bottles that can biodegrade. And, you know, Morris, one of the things we've talked about in the past or we've seen is you can dial in these bottles with bioplastics to to degrade over a period of time so that depending on, you know, how much material you put in there, that's bio-based versus some of the chemicals. And, and that those are some of the most interesting things. If we can just have that impact on the Mexican economy and just Mexican basic consumer behavior, that alone changes the world in many good ways. Well, we've seen what like Paul Benham and the hemp plastic company is doing right now with their technology that basically replaces 25% of petroleum with uh, hemp bio-based plastic. And that's 25% less petroleum. And their technology is scalable and they're looking to be 30, 40, 50%. And just to knock off, again, 25 to 50% of the petroleum being used in the plastics that are out there is a significant decrease in petroleum plastics that'll be filling up landfills in the ocean. Just floating around the ocean. Yep. Yeah, that's right. I would like to ask you a question, Bob. You are super experienced in international regulations. When it comes to Mexico, what do you think are the main challenges that Mexico will face before the federal legalization of all uses of cannabis? So it's a good, it's a really good question. I, I think one of the challenges is the implementation, right? It's one thing to go through this long process to figure out what the legislation is going to encompass. But when you have such a large country and you have a government that is required now to go out and create detailed regulations, how fast can that move? I mean, we just saw the medical cannabis, the medical marijuana regulations come out of Mexico just a few weeks ago, and that was basically three years in the making. So to come out with regulations that create a standard and stable regulatory environment for businesses to operate, that's going to be critical. That's 
one major challenge. I think another challenge is going to be that so many people look at the cannabis industry as a get-rich-quick type scenario. We saw that play out in other countries across Latin America from you know Colombia all the way down to Uruguay, and it hasn't necessarily created, at least right now, although it's improving great stable economies, great economic opportunities. We hope, and, and I know that you've been working so hard to put educational materials out there, but we hope that it's not a major challenge that everybody that wants to get into the Mexican cannabis industry just wants to make a quick dollar or sell out their license like they've done in these other places, because that doesn't work. This has to be a sustainable, at least medium-term objective. If it doesn't, with those regulations in the background, then it's not necessarily going to roll out. But, but I think that the amount of care and the amount of attention that the Mexican government has put towards it in the, in, in the lower house and in the Senate right now I think that there's a chance that it attracts the right kinds of participants in the industry that really want to do something and stick around, not just cash out and make a quick buck. By the way, there's nothing wrong with that. That is the American way, after all. That's probably the way of the world when you base it on capitalism anyway. But that doesn't create a sustainable commercial industry. And that's what we all want, because a sustainable commercial industry is what's able to achieve those things that help the world. Plastics fuels, so forth and so on, the maximum uses of this plant. So how do you see that affecting opportunities for international players coming in? Well, so, and, and, and Lorena, correct me if I'm wrong, but we, we've talked for months and months now about different ways that they could uh, write the language in the legislation so that it didn't just allow foreign entities to come in and get the license and control the, the company. It's my understanding that the Mexican legislation does put a focus on requiring there to be Mexican citizens, Mexican-based business people in at least control positions in these companies. If that's the case, then there's a greater likelihood uh, that this would succeed in the long run. I also see it playing out in a way where if the regulations take time, it's those other those actors from other countries that are beginning to be coming to the interest holders within Mexico and saying, we need to work with you. We And, the, and then the, the Mexican businesses and the Mexican citizens involved in the licensing process are going to say, yeah, we need help on the outside. So it creates that relationship where it's not just, hey, Canadians, give us $50 million for this license and let's do this. It, those days are over. That didn't work and it doesn't work. It's got to be something that's more broad-based and play out over time. And I think that's one of the things that's impressive about the way that the Mexican legislature has looked at this is they've studied other countries. And not that writing legislation means everything is just going to be done correctly, but at least it's a better chance than to say, what went wrong in Ecuador? What went wrong in Colombia? What went wrong in all of these other places around the world? And how can we learn from that? That at least gives Mexico a chance to, to, to participate. Plus, you're going to have people flooding there. They're already flooding there from the United States and, and other places to participate in this industry. And having to work with people on the ground in Mexico, I think that's going to be far more successful than just people coming in from the outside saying, we've got the money, we've got the expertise, let us do it. That didn't always work. It doesn't work uh, in this industry. Thanks, Bob. Great answer. Yeah, pretty much so. So how do you see that federal legalization in Mexico is going to affect the United States and our efforts for federal legalization here? Yeah, so we've kind of, if you look at a map, you can envision this sandwich where the United States is in the middle of the sandwich 
and you've got the top piece of bread is the uh, is the Canadians and Canada of course moved forward on this and they've succeeded in many ways but they've also failed in many 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 significant ways and the bottom layer of the sandwich below us of course is Mexico and that will force the United States to actively consider moving forward and it's a perfect storm moving forward with cannabis policy reform overall both hemp and marijuana or at least advancing some regula- regulations on the hemp side that create certainty for operators. And we've got the Biden administration in place who has publicly voiced that it supports this industry and that they've even moved forward with the passage of certain pieces of legislation from the House, the MORE Act in particular, that would pave the pathway. So I think that our neighbors to the north and our neighbors to the south have created this scenario. The United States is going to have to react. So it pushes forward an interesting agenda. And I think that the, the outcome of the economic impact of COVID in the United States is going to dictate how fast we move into that space under the Biden administration. So it's, and, and, and make no mistake about it, the United States would come to it on its own, but if it has its neighbors to the north and to the south participating in international commerce around cannabis, the United States is going to have to move. And what's that going to do? That's going to open up the stock markets in the Northeast. We saw what happened in Canada and the Canadians spent that money wildly and and overspent largely, but that was indicative of the times. I think we'll see, that's that's a blip on the screen compared to the dollars that will flow into the NASDAQ and the New York Stock Exchange when the United States legalizes it. And then that money has an opportunity to really create an interesting supply chain block between Canada, the US and Mexico for the Western hemisphere, certainly, but for domestic and and global participation for medicines and all the other waste products. I I know you guys were talking earlier about some of the waste products that come off of the plant. The waste products are the ones that we can monetize the most easiest. When you think about the seed cakes from the presses, there's protein in the seed cakes. That forms the basis for animal feed. You've got the fiber that can be used, Lorena, as you point out, for, for automobile door panel manufacturing or plastics and the like. These are the things that we need to, to do and create infrastructure together. Right now, it's there's infrastructure in Colorado and there's infrastructure in you know Vancouver, Canada, and there will be infrastructure in you know Chihuahua, Mexico. But how do they work together? That's what we're going to see come out of the Mexican legislation is a supply chain that's very much uh, intimately interconnected between the three countries in North America. Can't wait. Yep. Yeah, we, we all, we, <laughs> we we, we, we're all sitting back waiting. It's, uh, it's, it's, <laughs> it is, it's very exciting. But yeah, I'm anxious to see how it rolls out. And Lorena, I know that there was this institute that was to be formed under the Mexican legislation. And that institute, for lack of a way, better way to put it, is an oversight group. And it's my understanding that there has been a request to have that removed because that institute would take time to create, get created and to get built and then to be put in action, that would delay the regulatory process by a long shot. Has that been removed or what's the status of that piece of the Mexican legislation? Yeah, and that was something that we were discussing with Luis as well. We have some information from the last few days that the Institute has a high probability to be removed. And the Department of Agriculture will take over when it comes to uh, industrial hemp to give the permits for industrial hemp. And uh, the CONADIC, which is the National Commission Against Addictions, is the one who will take care of the recreational part of this industry. So, yeah, it's definitely great news if that happens, if that actually happens, 
just because of what you mentioned. It will take more time. It will take a budget from the government and they don't have that budget ready for an institute like that. So uh, we see a lot of will from the legislators to modify, change that and make sure that this moves forward a little bit faster. Because if we try to create an institute from zero, it will take us at least a couple of years. Hopefully that's going to be voted next week. And I just want to make mention real quick, the director of CONADIC, of this Commission Against Addictions, is Dr. Gadi Saviki. And this doctor, before he became the director of this institution, he was the president of the first medical cannabis association in Mexico. So Dr. Gadi Saviki, he is one of the cannabis doctors, a huge activist for this industry for the last 15 years. So having them, him, having him, Dr. Saviki, in that position as the director of Conadic is just amazing news for everybody. That's really great. And, you know, as I think about it, too, I just want to make one thing clear as, as we're talking about when I talk about this global supply chain or this regional supply chain in North America, I don't want people to just think that we're talking about, oh, it's just got to be big business because that's not the case at all. Farmers win when there's stability. We're trying to help farmers. This is an agricultural product after all. And farmers win when there's stability. Farmers are not winning in the current environment in the United States. They've had to come up with creative ways and take risks that their families probably would have never taken with Delta 8 and all these other things. And there's nothing wrong with that. It is the way to, to, to create opportunity and create revenue. But when you have a supply chain that it will help small and medium-sized farmers exist and exist in a more stable environment in this industry. So I, I just want to be clear. I'm not saying, oh, we need to turn this over to big business. Big business is going to get there whether we like it or not. At the end of the day, it's that stability and the creation of the supply chain that helps farmers. And that's really what this comes down to when you're talking about a plant. It's all of our plant, but it's the farmers who, who need the protection. The farmers need the stability and the consistency of an industry to help them. Otherwise, we're going to see people, let's put it frank, right? They're going to lose their ass, Morris, like they've lost their ass the last couple of years in the United States. And I don't like to see that. And it's all because they're trying to get rich quick. And who could blame them? But there's a supply chain element that needs to they come together here. Well said, Bob. We've been seeing it for years now and been preaching it. And stability is something that we all strive for. And hopefully in the coming years, we're going to get there. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Hopefully Mexico can lead that way and establish in the regulation the priorities for the small farmers and to really push for industrial hemp as one of the biggest opportunities for many countries. But Mexico, as you guys know, is one of the main producers of this plant. So it will be really sad if we don't implement these regulations that protect the farmers. And, and, and something you've always talked about, it was the campesinos, right? The small groups of farmers. And that was one of the things that I witnessed. I was in Paraguay a couple of weeks ago, and it was the same thing. Giving farmers an opportunity to plant something else other than what they're locked into producing, whether that, that's bananas or very specific tobacco or other products. These are the things that, that we, we want to create options and we want to create stability for farmers because the situation right now, it's not exactly working. I think that's about it for this segment. I want to thank you for your time, of course, Bob. Is there any final parting words you'd like to leave with our listeners? 
obviously uh, a big fan of the podcast and thanks for having me on. And uh, I'm looking forward to being down in Mexico the week of the 15th to see where we are and hopefully things are moving forward. Uh, excited uh, to see this thing pass. I know it's going to change the dynamics across the board and it's good to connect with you two. I hope to be in the same room with y'all very, very soon. That's going to happen at NOCO. <laughs> yeah, we'll see you at NOCO too. Thank you so much. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Thank Bob. you guys. Appreciate it. Alrighty. No matter what side of the fence you sit, we can all agree that hemp is good for this country. Whether it's the new opportunities it presents for our farmers, the jobs it creates in our communities, the health products that are entering the marketplace, or the positive environmental impact it has on this planet, there are endless reasons to be a friend of hemp. Please join Friends of Hemp today to connect with others who are cheering hemp forward. Visit friendsofhemp.org to learn how you can become a friend of hemp. And there we have it from the man himself, Bob Hoban, the international global cannabis, hemp, attorney, philosopher, jack of all trades. It's always awesome to talk to Bob. Oh, yeah, definitely. I learn so much from him. Every time I hear him, I learn something new every time. Unbelievable. The experience that men have. Yeah, Bob has really spent, he's spent more time than anybody I know in the industry the last three or four years, really going all over the world and working in so many different markets with so many different governments and just having a real good perspective on what is happening across the globe. Yeah, yeah, definitely. He has visited Mexico a few times and he's joining us again, hopefully after the voting, once we have this law ready, published. And yeah, just super excited to having him here and joining Alcan as well. Yeah, we actually didn't talk about it with him, but he set up shop in Mexico City, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are actually working together in Mexico now, and we are opening offices here in Mexico City. I'll be joining GP the GPS team, Gateway Proven Strategies. It's an international consulting right. firm, and yeah, it's now in Mexico. Yeah, exciting things. Well, it's been great talking about everything that's going on in Mexico there with you, Lorena. And as we were recording this episode the last couple of days, and just so everybody knows out there, we typically record these episodes like a week in advance. And as we were recording this, we got news of a good friend of ours, Dion Markreff, who lives in San Diego and has been a lifelong advocate and into hemp building and cannabis legalization and activism. And he unfortunately passed away in his sleep. I think it was on February 21st. So it's been a tough last couple of days for the hemp and cannabis communities. Yeah, he will be missed. I remember when I met him in here in Mexico City at the first Cannabis Expo, which is Expo with Mexico. And Expo with was 2016. And I remember him walking, looking at the different booths and talking to people. And I was like, who is this gringo? He knows a lot. I want to talk to him. And he showed me for the first time ever, I saw a piece of hempcrete. I was like, are you serious? This is real. And he just started talking about his work. And he also gave me some drops, nanotechnology 
DVD drops. And I was like, oh my God, you're way too advanced for us. Are you coming from the future? What's going on here? Yeah, I, I, it was amazing. It was so good to spend time with him here in Mexico. And he will be missed. Great advocate. He was definitely an inspiration to me when I first met him. And I haven't been in the cannabis industry for 30 years as an activist or advocate like he has. And guys like that, I just learned so much from and his passion and his humility as well. He's not like a narcissist or, you know, arrogant with this big ego. He was just really down to earth. And his whole mission was just to advance the the plant. And he was a, a true trooper of the plant. So hats off to Dion. And I'm sure he's up there right now looking over us and trying to pull whatever strings he can to help out our community. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much, Maurice. Thank you for joining me. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our folks out there? Well, just, yeah, just follow us on social media. My personal account, which is public Lorena Belt. And of course the new American Cannabis Alliance, it's just alcan, A-L-C-A-N-N dot org. That's, those are the, the main platforms on social media where you can find me. And I'm here to help, to uh, just guide people who want to join us in Mexico and just do amazing things together. Excellent. And we'll have all that information in the show notes as far as websites and, and where you can find Lorena. And thanks again for joining me on the show and look forward to seeing you at NOCO. Yeah, I'll be there. Thank you. All right. Take care. Have a good day. You too. And that is going to wrap it up for episode four of Volume Up, the Let's Talk Hemp podcast. And I again want to thank Lorena Beltran for co-hosting, along with Bob Hoban and Luis Armaderas of the Hoban Law Group sharing their time and insight into the Mexican and Latin American hemp and cannabis obstacles and opportunities that lie ahead of us in the coming years. Be sure to check out letstalkhemp.com and subscribe to our weekly Let's Talk Hemp newsletter for the most up-to-date information on the hemp industry. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, please hit that subscribe button on the player, share it with your friends and family, and if you're feeling it, leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you came across the show. If you are interested in sponsoring, advertising, or being a future guest, drop us a message to info at letstalkhemp.com. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll catch you on the other side. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, host of Casually Baked, the podcast. If you're curious to explore the highly responsible side of cannabis, farming, and legalization, I'm here to help lighten the stigma and build your can of confidence. Download episodes now of Casually Baked, the podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. And journey with me through the evolving cannabis culture and discover how and why people like you are adding cannabis to their wellness toolkit. It's time to get casually baked.